Welcome to the Race to Rugby World Cup pod with Ron and Adam from the side of the road, somewhere on the planet. All right, Race to Rugby World Cup pod. The last time you would have heard our voices alone in the room was the 26th of April. Um, we were sitting in the French ambassador's guest house in Cambodia. The air-conditioned guest house. Air-conditioned guest house. And we were actually... <coughs> Approaching a day where we were trying to decide whether we should fly or cycle to the border, um, because of COVID restrictions, we weren't, we didn't have our hundred percent clarity on what we should do. But by the end of that day, we did, and ultimately, the land border was not going to open. Um, we we had a little bit of chance that it was, but yeah, on that day, we kind of took a deep breath, but we were excited because. After that podcast you um, listened to, we made our way, um, we, we had a bit of an adventure in Phnom Penh, but then we made our way to the Child Fund Rugby and DHL event that um, the team from both parties put on for us and for each other actually, which was really exciting. It was the first time we would be able to engage with children from Child Fund Rugby, yeah. with coaches from Child Fund Rugby. Um, the Cambodian DHL office invited um key staff members or, or selected staff members to join and it was a really really cool day yeah it was a fantastic day and i think um you know we've both we're looking forward to that for a long time to get involved in a proper program it was the first time that um, a lot of those dhl staff had ever been exposed to rugby and it really was great to see because in the same way that child fund rugby introduces rugby to these young girls and boys and gives them an opportunity to come and play and learn life skills this was here were a bunch of adults as well who'd never seen this game and the enthusiasm that they approached it, not just the games they played amongst themselves, but the way they got stuck in with the coaches and stuck in with the uh, with the young players um, really, really was amazing. And I know um, the following day I went to go and visit the office and Prayag, the country manager for DHL in Cambodia, um, was asked, had already been asking Chris about whether they could do this for an adult version as a sort of future um, uh, team building exercise. So it really, really cool to see the game of rugby being introduced to people with no idea, boys sports, women's sports, men's sports, never seen this weird round, or sorry, weird egg-shaped ball, um, but they thoroughly enjoyed it and, and they got stuck in, properly stuck in. Yeah, the touch rugby was great. I, I got my sneakers on and it, it was a lot of fun and... You know, the rules weren't clear for them. It was the first time they touched a rugby ball. Um, but yeah, so much fun. What a you know, what an awesome experience. And I've never actually coming from South Africa experienced rugby with people that had no idea what it is. Um so it Literally opened never up, seen it. Yeah, yeah. It opened up my eyes and it, it really, you know, Chris is doing a great job at Child Fund Rugby because the life lessons in those two hours with people that have never touched rugby ball were evident and the, the children picked it up, the adults picked it up. It was amazing. Yeah, the impact it made on everybody. But I think we have missed, we're talking about where we did our last podcast. We haven't mentioned where we are today. I was getting to that. Oh, sorry. I had a, if you can see on the camera, I've got my notebook here. No, but no, okay, no, we're good, <laughs> I thought we were just diving into day after day. No, well, uh, leading into our final decision to leave Cambodia, uh, we evidently had to reach Thailand. Uh, the final decision came from the ambassador himself almost, who just said it's simply not going to open. Yeah, no, sorry, that's the Thai ambassador to Cambodia. Thai ambassador yeah. to Cambodia. And yeah, you'll find us having to fly into Thailand, which was always on sequence, our next country. And um, yeah, we are ultimately moved from, Cambodia was quite humid and hot, but we just, next level stuff, um, rainforest, um, sort of, 
sauna-esque temperatures. And um, yeah, we're about 10 days on the road and we're in a town called Kaolak. And um, it is, it, it's been raining the whole day. Well, actually not the whole day. It's been overcast the whole day. It's rained the last hour, but Ron and I are both dripping here with sweat. Um, so we, yeah, we went from the air-conditioned um, r- relaxed cycling, zero cycling yeah. of Cambodia into Thailand. Um, it's been a great transition, um, but yeah. yeah. So here we are in the hot season, and the wet looks like the wet season's come early. But Khao Lak is on the sort of southwest coast of Thailand, about a day's ride um, from Phuket, um, and it's one of those coastal towns facing the Andaman Sea that really got hit in the tsunami of 2004. So um, it's quite surreal being here. Um, I've never actually been to Khao Lak, but um, it's a popular holiday destination for tourists from overseas, local tourists, as well as um, sort of expats who live in the region and uh, heard good things. So I'm looking forward to going to go and see the beach after this. And uh, before we get going, how are you feeling? Yeah, pretty good. I think um, I've kind of worked out that cycling is better than resting. So, you know, we had a few days off in Bangkok, a few days off in Phnom Penh, and we start getting antsy. So, you know, cycling, keeping to a routine of some sort is actually a lot more therapeutical and a lot better. Um, and, you know, we we went in with to this trip knowing that there will be challenges and delays and so on. Yeah. Um, but you, you begin to realize that actually being on the bicycle is actually our happy place versus um, being stuck in cities and, and trying to work out logistics. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, you know, in normal times, you'd probably appreciate the, the brakes a bit more, but often the brakes here have been enforced and uh, unplanned and come off the back of a of an unplanned and expensive and frustrating flight. But um, as you say, here we are. And and I think you were just, you know, you're talking about almost like a, a spiritual the last few days I felt. And um, it's, uh, it's that, I think this country can do that to you. Well, talking about spirit spirituality. So the day after um, the Child Fund Rugby and DHL event, we made, our, we had a, a breakfast with the ambassador of, um, Cam- the French ambassador of Cambodia. Um, and then we actually split it up for the first time on this trip. Um, I rented an XR 250 uh, scooter and I made a 300-kilometer trek towards Sien Reap. Um, and I also just before that visited the S21 Genocide Museum, uh, something that I was looking forward to on this trip before we even left South Africa. And we were going to cycle through there, but obviously, as we've explained, the borders were closed. So we had a day off. And, um, you know, Ron's already seen it and been there. So I, I just, you know, I said, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to get a bike and we, I'm just going to go. So I got, I got to go to something of like intense spirituality, the Angkor Wat temples. Uh, you know, it, it really put a mark on my body and <laughs> on, on my um, soul because, you know, when you go and look at these ruins and these temples and, you know, the carvings on, on these walls and that are like of people smiling and happy and then you realize also like a few years ago there's this horrific genocide that took place in Cambodia and just all of these mixed emotions you know with Mm. you know genocide happy temples beautiful scenery happy people death so on and so forth so that 600 kilometer round trip motorbike journey was was quite spiritual um and then you know Ron you on your day off essentially you, you got to go and visit the DHL office in Cambodia and you also met an, an extremely inspirational and special person a female referee in Cambodia 
Yeah, she's got a fantastic story, but we won't spoil it now. But yeah, it was a good opportunity to spend a bit more time with the DHL team, uh, meet this, yeah, um, Pranal, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but Pranal, who we met for the first time, who was refing the, the, the child fund session with the DHL team and the coaches the day before. So what a story she's got. So look out for that episode of the podcast. Um, but it has been yeah, very, yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a, yeah, a productive day and a, a bit of admin and seeing some cool people. Um, but yeah, it was getting ready to go. Yeah, and we had to box our bikes and book a flight and we headed off to the airport and we made our way to Bangkok. There were still some COVID re- regulations. We had to like, get shuttled into some safe house police prison cell type of hotel setting. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've kind of got used to it and uh, we spent our 24 hours in the hotel, essentially 24 yeah. hours. Um, and then made our way out, which was quite exciting. Ron, you used to live in Bangkok. No, so we had a couple of days there of, uh, you know, it was a good opportunity for me to catch up with a few of my old rugby friends um, and a few people that I knew from my time there. And some people I haven't seen in almost 16, 17 years since I left. So that was very cool. And, uh, yeah, I managed to went for an odd meal and a couple of beers in the evening, and it was just a good way to sort of. I mean, Bangkok's not back at its sort of full, you know, all out best, but it was yeah great to be back in the city. And uh, we fortunately chose a Monday to leave, <laughs> and was a public holiday Monday. Sorry to cycle out of Bangkok, and a lot, every time I've been to Thailand before, I used to own a scooter there and ripped around the streets, and it was all good fun. But I never imagined actually cycling. I thought that would be a bit crazy, um, but yeah, we were cycling out of Bangkok on Monday morning. Cycling out of Bangkok on a Monday morning. I must admit, I had a hangover. I met up with the Irish Celtic, what, curling team? <laughs> I don't even Gaelic, know. Gaelic. Gaelic football team. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they had a tournament in Bangkok. We met them in Hanoi. Um, so I had a few Guinness with them on the Sunday. I thought it was quite a good sign off to cycle out of Bangkok with a hangover <laughs> as per the film. And uh, yeah, we got we we actually had a crew that escorted us out from yeah. the Bangkok Bangers. Yeah, Bangkok Bangers, a local expat rugby club there, and they've got a big um, cycling. Yeah, they've got a big cycling culture within the rugby club. Bangkok or Bangers on bikes, so Bob team. Uh, three of them came out, and uh, I think they were a little bit um, en- enjoyed the change of scenery. They're all training for big rides coming up, so you know there we are pottering around at twenty k's an hour out of town and <laughs> stopping every hour and a half for a, for fried rice and a, and a coffee. And then normally they'd be sort of doing three hundred k's over the weekend, but uh, it was cool to see them, and I think they really enjoyed it. Yeah, they did, and we, it was cool conversations. You know, they've in the hustle and bustle of Bangkok, living there. And you such know, interesting stories. Yeah, each one of them has such a cool story. They've, you know, um, Frank's been there for twenty something years. He's a South African, and it was like, wow, I can't believe yeah. someone from the East Rand has made his way <laughs> and made his home Bangkok. So it was quite cool. Uh, a Frenchman and an Aussie. Yeah, and a Frenchman and an Aussie. Ultimately, we cycled 101 kilometers on that day. We made our way to this awesome homestay. This is like campsite. I don't actually know what it. How do you describe it? it was like. Basically, you can pitch your tent anywhere, even on the deck. And it was along this river um, near like a fishing village. Um, so, yeah, we went straight into a camping session on our first day back cycling since our arrival into Phnom Penh. Yeah. So, yeah, it was… I think we were both just chuffed to be on the road. And we were didn't really have anywhere planned to stay. And there was one or two like homestays indicated on Google Maps, but had long since disappeared. And then somebody pointed this place out to us. What a little gem of a spot run by a very cool family. Yeah. They've put so much effort into building this place, um, literally on stilts across over the river. Uh, wonderful food, great attitude, everything's done with a smile. Um, and there was a whole group of people there sort of celebrating. Uh, because again, it was a public holiday, so there was a whole group of Thai people there celebrating uh, the departure. Well, 
having a farewell drinks and a party for their f- Japanese friend who was going back to Japan. Uh, so it was quite a cool vibe yeah. and outdoor cinemas and <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. completely unexpected. Uh, completely unexpected. When you're cycling through this area, you, you'd think, oh, yeah, we are, we're going to have to stay under someone's garage or whatever. But this person's really looked after the place. Good um, bathroom facilities. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And you put your tent up in the old abandoned, well, not a band, oh, it's old. My hammock. A hammock, sorry, a hammock up in a, in a van at the head there, which was, I don't know, probably 60 years old. Yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah I find myself sleeping more comfortably in a hammock than on the sleeping mattress. Um, so if the weather's half all right and not as hot as it is sitting yeah. here right now, I would be happy to sit in my hammock. So yeah, I used the opportunity and it was a great, great yeah. um, rest. The next day was, I think for both of us, one of like an eye-opening in terms of the cycling. We cycled through what better word to use is the wetlands yeah. and it was just phenomenal it was we you know we we we're, we're in no rush in this thailand leg mm. so you know we're using the routes suggested to us by Kamut, the yeah. app that we use and it took us on these radical lefts so, and rights and yeah, yeah it's just yeah it's just so close to bangkok still but we're spending hours and hours cycling they have these wetlands and uh, they also have these these salt farms these salt flats, these farms basically. Um, and the bird life was just incredible. So you, you leave in the early morning, it's got this sort of heavy heaviness to the air that you know comes with this time of year with the humidity and the overcast conditions. Um, and also this sort of mist. But as you cycle past, these sort of birds fly up and it's, it really is just so, I just found it so serene. Um, and it really is just sort of like, I don't know, if, what you kind of picture or I kind of picture Southeast Asia in the, in the hot season being like, just wonderful. Yeah, it was. And just, like just a random palm tree, tallest palm tree you can ever see, just out of no, like sticking out of this rice field. Um, then green, 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 like nothing, you can't get yeah. more green than, than that. It was just really cool. There was a couple stray dogs that would attack us every so often. Um, None of us have been bit yet, or neither of us have been bit yet. Yeah, they're like, they're aggressive but friendly strays. They yeah. they come at you and then they get scared of you. Um, I must say they they also like, kind of hang out in gangs if you can call it that <laughs> i do feel like um so yeah but that that was a very cool day and what was nice about this day is we had a great end de- um destination yes so um and also i think you, t- you spoke about rice patties but i think that's probably a good time to talk about the food of thailand as well yeah yeah um, and i'm sure we'll talk about that at length now but um now two or three days into our travels it was quite quickly becoming obvious to us that um, thailand which is well known for its food um, but from a cycling point of view, the food that's available, the frequency of it, the tastiness of it, the energy fuel that it gives you um, is just second to none. It's just incredible. No, it is. And the the options that you have are a lot, lot more than what we previously had. Not not that Vietnam and Cambodia didn't give us options. It's just you can go from anywhere to five different types of noodles, yeah. rice cooked in various different ways. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so, frankly more variety. Yeah, more, <laughs> more variety, and it's yeah, like Ron says, it's all great cycling meals. Yes. You know, they can really energize you. Yeah. But yeah, so that second night we were we were planning to well, we did we reached Hua Hin, which is a very well known um, sort of town two two hours two two uh, two hundred kilometers south of Bangkok. It's a very popular uh, tourist destination. A lot of expats have their homes there, um, including a friend of mine, uh, Vino Swift, who we'd obviously met for lunch the day before or the weekend before. Um, so Vino has got a couple of apartments there, which he put us up in. Um, and it was nice to be able to, well, as I say, we talked about sometimes getting angsty after a day off, but uh, we were actually looking forward to having a day off there and we knew it would be a little bit of a luxury and a swimming pool and a, 
yeah, and a nice place to you know, be able to sort of catch our breath after our first two days back on the bike. Yeah, it was it was a much needed rest. Like a rest day in Bangkok and Phnom Penh and Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City yeah. are quite uh, I don't, like yeah. I don't know how to say an, unrestful, an, <laughs> unrestful, anxiety filled, and just busy. Um, so this was like one of our first proper rest days in like a tranquil town, if you can call with, it. Yeah, that. With no obligations, no pressures, just being able to yeah to chill out. Um, but then the next day we were off quite late. Um, and this was one, we had a, a departure breakfast with um, Vino. And then secondly, we were going to meet um, Chris, an yeah. ex-British veteran. Or yeah, is that yeah a special forces soldier. Yeah, and he was going to show us about 30Ks of, you know, where he's from. And it was amazing. Yeah, so yeah, he's a friend or a connection of, of Vino's. And uh, sorry, we actually forgot to mention that um, the local press, Hua Hin, a radio station, a newspaper. We did some uh, media engagements with them the day before. Um, and Vino's very helpful. We're going to set something up similar in Phuket. Um, but in his typical way of always wanting to, you know, sort of look after you and look after people, uh, Vino connected us with with Chris. Um, and Chris is a super interesting, you know, Vino's only met him briefly once and he said this is a super interesting guy. He loves his cycling. He lives about an hour or 30 kilometers south of Hua Hin. And, uh, that it proved to be exactly the case. We sort of did some backtrack riding to come across his uh, his uh, his villa in the middle of the of the forest, and what a spot he's got there! Yeah, it's it's definitely a villa that you would want to host a New Year's party at. But <laughs> yeah. he's quite a introverted man, and yeah. and he actually nice. likes it to be a quiet place. Yeah, uh, but a great place. And then yeah, super also discovered cycling late in life. He's only been into it about a year, but he's absolutely obsessed by it. And uh, he was just could not be a way to get get out there and show us. And uh, really, really cool. I think he was, you know, obviously looking forward to showing us around his sort of trails and the area where he spends his time cycling. Um, and obviously, you, you know, when I told him about the story, but I think it it was spending an hour or two with us, riding the, you know, just chatting quietly and talking and just cycling at a pace that is a bit slower than he's normal to. That he started getting a sort of real understanding of what we were doing and what our lives were like day to day. And you could just see something flickering in his mind going, there's something here, there's something here. Um, you guys are doing something right. And, you know, he does consulting work in, in risk. He's always sort of looking out for the worst of things. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a busy job and a demanding job. Uh, but I think somewhere we've, we've lit, a, lit, a <laughs> lit a spark that I think that could lead to, to him spending more time on his bike. Yeah, you could definitely sense some sort of inspiration. You know, you think if you're going to go and meet a British veteran that's fought in or, or yeah. represented Britain in Iraq, I don't know how it all works, but you'd think he would inspire us, but yeah. it kind of worked the other way around, which is quite humbling. Um, but so, yeah, what a great just guy. By, just by riding a bike, so, yeah. so simple. Yeah. What a great guy. And um, after showing us some amazing national parks, like these yeah. forests and cliff edges and that are just yeah. unbelievable. He, he turned left, we turned right or other way around. But um, we basically then made our way to the coast and we just kept the seaside on our left. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just yeah just kept pedaling. And I can't really iterate how close we got to the seaside. Like the, if you if we turn left, you're basically cycling on the sand. Yeah, I mean, the, the path that you're cycling on, often it is a cycling path. Sometimes you're just on the on the main, the, the road that's sort of the beach road. I mean, the sand is on the road. Yeah. Like it's a bit of a breeze, it's sand on the roads. Like, I mean, you don't even need to have a half decent, you could literally just spit and you'd be spitting on the, on the beach. <laughs> yeah, so it was something about, I love beaches and I think globally, if you can never s cycle on like a promenade or or like on some sort, like in your hometown, everyone always chooses that. And, yeah. you know, we've... And also means it. It's also means it's flat. Yeah, it's very <laughs> flat. And oh, it was uh, amazing. But 
Yeah, we got to a strange motel that night. It was like a motel that surrounded a driving range. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we didn't play golf. Well, I'm, I'm not much of a golfer. But um, yeah, it was unique. The first time we basically slept on a driving range. Or- well, in my entire 47 years on the planet, being relatively well-traveled, I've never, ever, ever slept at a driving range yeah. until that day. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was quite quite a strange place, but you know, great great beds, and, great place to rest. Yeah, and shout out to the guy who was there. When we arrived, checked in at probably half past four, we bumbled about, had our showers, sorted our bikes out, unpacked, did all that, got out an hour later, he was still hitting balls and striking them very well. So any kids out there, you want to do anything one in life, get out there and practice and hit a lot of balls. Yeah, yeah. He was, <laughs> I actually can't believe he was playing that much. I'm pretty sure he was actually still hitting balls when we went, went to, to bed, bed. Yeah, and the heat, he was, yeah, hats off to him. The next morning, uh, we we put our head down a little bit. We had an obligation to, well, we actually wanted to, but yeah. We met the the Thailand Rugby Union president and and, GM. and the GM, and uh, yeah, we had to make our way. Uh, I don't actually can't remember it's the about name. Thirty thirty five k's. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, great cycling. Yeah. you know, it was even though the first bit was on the highway, we get into this like beach beachy resorts style like area, and yeah, we got to meet the president of Thailand Rugby Union. Yeah, yeah so thanks again to Christmas Daglio from Child Fund for setting it up. Um, and I must, I'll be completely honest here, I used to play rugby in Thailand 20 years ago and we never had much positive things to say about the TRU because we, we were sort of playing for this expat team, always frustrated because when the fixtures will always change and we never know quite, quite what's going on. But it seems that nowadays they really have got their house in order. Um, and Kun Atapal, who's the GM, set us up very kindly. We met the president and my goodness, isn't it a, it's a union on the move. Um, they've got good people in place. Um, they've got fantastic sevens teams, both men's and women's. Um, the, my friends here who still play rugby to this day in Bangkok say how well organized the league is. So it's, it sounds like they're doing something right. Um, the president has just won a second term of four years. So it's up onwards and upwards. And uh, I think it was really, as I say, really humbling that he invited us um, to his home um, to, to meet with him. And uh, yeah, very generously gave us a nice donation to our, to our, our fundraising efforts for Child Fund Rugby. Yeah, I, I, there's always something about a an organization that seems serious when you meet them, then you know that there's something legit about to go down, whether it takes two years, four years, 10 years. But, you know, it was nice that we didn't like roll into the Thailand Rugby Union and they were clowning about it. It was serious. You know, they were excited about seeing the whistle. They're excited about our stories and listening in. And they understand the the fundraising aspect of everything. So, yeah. But they are very serious. I mean, it's, 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 it's for, for a country in this region, you know, compared to Cambodia where people, there really is very little understanding of the game of, of rugby. You come to Thailand, it is quite an established sport. You know, all the armed services have teams, the Navy, the Air Force, the Army, the police. They're basically full-time professionals because they're all full-time service people. Um, the, the, there's a big focus on the women's game, and particularly around the sevens thing. Um, they play in the Southeast Asian games. So... You know, they and they've they've employed Fijians and, and Kiwis to come and coach their sevens teams over the time. So they're very serious about it. Um, and I'm quietly, quietly hopeful that one day, and we've both spoken about this, how cool would it be to see a Viet- uh, sorry, a Thai team um representing or well, Thailand team um being playing in the Olympics in the sevens circuit it would just be amazing. It would be unbelievable. Yeah. And I think they've got some people in there at the moment that want that to happen. Correct, so yeah. let's let's watch the space. Yeah, let's hold thumbs. The next morning, well, actually, after that, you know, we, we cycled an amazing route again. We couldn't get closer to the beach. Um, a lot of resorts on our left and on our right. And, yeah, it was just really taking in Thailand. It's a bit quieter because tourism ha- is ramping up, but not 
you know, complete, but I really did enjoy the end of that day. Um, just again, cycling on the beach, it's yeah. flat, it's beautiful. It was raining all day. It didn't bother us. Yeah. Um, and yeah. In fact, if anything, it cools you down. It cools bit, you yeah. down. And um, the next day we had a late start because of the overcast weather and the rain. Like we don't, we're not too stressed about getting up too early to beat the heat. Um, but then we met this fellow adventurer, Ian. His name, his um, nickname or travel name is Little Aussie Peddler. Nothing um, little about him. He's about six foot ten. <laughs> yeah. And so that morning, yeah, we cycled past our first solo um, bike tourer. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. And I must say, I, I'm just, yeah, I mean, back to my trip in 2019, I remember so distinctively meeting this Thai gentleman, actually, of all people, who was cycling from Thailand to Norway. And uh, James and I bumped into him in the middle of Iran. And it was the most unexpected thing. You, you said it's such a distinctive profile, a touring bicycle. You can see it from a mile away over the rise and you see a bicycle with these lumps either side of it. You know the person's touring. And I actually remember feeling very emotional chatting to this guy in a very broken tie, him explaining the whole trip. He was dedicating to his mother, cycling from Thailand to Norway. Um, and I must say, I had tears in my eyes when I left bumping into this guy, just knowing that he knew what we were up to. We knew what he was up to. We had this like shared experience and shared bond. And it was a little bit like that with Ian. Ian's not cycling around the world this time, but he's, you know, he's a South, he comes from South Australia. He's taking basically 45 days off and coming to cycle around Thailand. And obviously as he chatted to him, uh, we, we, you know, shared stories and he's done so much of this kind of touring. So, and I think it's that, it is that thing of, of like just having this bond where we know what he's doing. He knows what we're doing. And uh, yeah, that shared experience is, it's so cool to see and just someone who just gets it and someone just getting to share our experiences. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I agree. It's the first time I've made a proper bike tour outside mm. of yourself, Ron. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, it was a cool and and what the in terms of like serendipity and so on. You know, he he was the second or third person that basically pushed us over the edge to say cross Thailand now. As so, if you can picture a map, Thailand's like quite. Linear, if um, down, like uh, vertical, and we were on the. We've been cycling on the east coast, and we wanted to make our way to the west coast. We were going to make our way to the west coast two days later, and he was basically saying, "Do it now," because yeah. following that, like once you cross the the west coast, is just phenomenal. And the timing was really good because it was. We were actually on our way to Chompum, which is one of the the big junction town where you can make that call to then head across west towards uh, Myanmar. Or our original plan was to go down to Suratani, which is actually the narrowest piece you can cross Thailand. And it really didn't add much kilometers. I added a bit of climbing on. Um, but as you say, it was not the first person to give us that advice. And it was just, as you say, serendipity that we met him that day. Yeah. Um, so we made that call. Um, and yeah, it's proved to be invaluable advice. Yeah. So we, after some night market food in Chompton, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Vaguely. Yeah. yeah the next morning we, we crossed. We got to this river that separates Myanmar and Thailand. Um, it's the Buri River, B-U-R-I River. And yeah. yeah, Buri River, it was flowing, um, not at speed, but full, like this calm flow. There was a massive storm the night before, yeah. so all the rivers were flowing. And yeah, we got to cycle about 120 kilometers along this river, and it was just magical. Yeah, and again, we use the word serene quite a lot on this trip, but there is something about the Southeast Asian rivers. The Mekong's always been one of my favorites. It just has this like this deep and darkness to it, but it's just the slow, and you can just, and it just goes through 
these sort of tropical rainforests and jungles, which in themselves are like sort of just serene. So there really is something to it. And literally, again, I mean, with a good, you need a bit of a bit of a better arm, but you could easily throw a coconut, <laughs> an empty coconut shell across the river into Myanmar. Yeah. Um, and just, to, I mean, again, just an indication of the, the difference in the countries, zero development, zero roads, zero anything across the river. And here we are in Thailand with there's a beautiful tarred road linking the top of the country to the south, guest houses everywhere, um, a robust growing economy. So it was, yeah, the contrast couldn't have been starker. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it was a special moment for me. Something about crossing bridges and seeing rivers and the, the, the ocean. Those are like my three big ones. Um, but saying that, the 9th of May specifically, although it was the heat and the sauna that we're actually still experiencing right now, we started seeing these forests. And that's another thing on my list. So oceans, forests, flowing rivers and bridges, they get me going on these trips. And these forests were just spiritual and magical. You know, if you picture the Jungle Book and there's Mowgli and there's the tiger and the big snakes and I don't think there's bears here, but definitely yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that sort of uh, scenery, it was yeah. just amazing. And that's where we've been the last two days, two, three days. Yeah, there's been some really, you, know, you see some sort of, it's nice to see some, real sort of old hardwood trees that have survived the test of time, haven't been chopped down, haven't been knocked over by tsunamis um, and, you know, coconut plantations and rubber plantations. And I'm, you know, I'm no geologist or agriculturalist. I'm not sure how good or bad some of that is for the environment, but there's a lot of natural forest around, which is amazing. And it's just everywhere and it just surrounds you. And it's just, yeah. you know, you're driving, the road's beautiful. It's a fantastic road. It's wide and nice for comfortable for cycling, but literally, 10 yards either side of it, just this forest and this bush. And it's just like, you do feel like you want to chuck on a backpack and go exploring through there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is the, the dense forests are a bit further away. Like the sad thing is there are a lot of palm oil yeah. plantations and, you know, they've deforested like a couple of the, the, the natural areas, but you just look and all you want to do is, um, who's that adventure, you know, like he, he would like have his machete and you'd do something, uh, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, one <laughs> of those adventures, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like I would, would like throw the bike down and I'm like, I'm just going to go and explore these. Yeah, um, so you take your bug spray. Yeah. That's for sure. But yeah, beautiful stuff. We ended off in a town or whatever. I'm not sure if it's a town or if it's a street. It's called Kura. Kura. Um, and yeah, we stumbled upon this bar slash restaurant where... I think previously there would have been some sort of resort or like tourist attraction pre-tsunami yeah. 2004. I feel like the small street slash town hasn't recovered or just no one really reinvested yeah. in it. Um, but yeah, we had an amazing sunset. Um, this was actually yesterday and we enjoyed a beer and we just, yeah, just really took a relaxing afternoon off. We got, you know, we got to our homestay by like 2 p.m. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was just a really special place, you know, that there are these like remote, non-commercial areas of the world, yeah. not let alone Thailand, that you can just go and find and there's happy people serving cold drinks and food. And, and it's just simple, yeah. Kalpat guy, like fried chicken and rice, just such a simple meal made together in six or seven minutes, but absolutely delicious. Sitting on this, on the basically on the beach, on these yeah. like sort of you know these old stools and things, not being able to share basically any words of each other's language, but just having this sort of oh, conversation and this and this good time, and they just so appreciated to see people there visiting them, just be able to share their 
yeah, their restaurants and it really, really was cool. I think also shout out to the homestay we stayed at. So we mm. stumbled upon and the two ladies around that could not have been friendlier. Uh, they rushed around us. They ordered us food for lunch. They did our washing for us. They brought us breakfast this morning um, and just did everything with an absolute smile. And I just, I mean, I do call Thailand the land, land of smiles, but just a reminder over and over again why this place is so popular. And it's so good for people like that who obviously struggled the last couple of years to see them, you know, who've obviously managed to survive the, you know, fortunately from a business point of view, um, just see that they're still hopeful and positive and upbeat. And I just, you know, I really hope people come flooding back for that reason alone. Yeah. There's some extremely special places and they energize us every morning to keep cycling. That's what we did today. We did about 100 kilometers today. Well, on my watch, I got 99. I'm kind of bleak that I just didn't do an extra K. But yeah. 99 kilometers today. We are in Kaolak, as we explained in the beginning of the podcast. And um, our next bit of the journey takes us to Phuket, where we're going to go and watch the Phuket 10s and then head down to Malaysia. And then yeah, then we've got some mates of mine, some old well, old uh, university friend of mine, uh, Rex Pennyfather, and an old rugby mate of mine from from Asia, same club that I know Vino from, who we mentioned before. They both uh, been living in Malaysia a long time, so looking forward to spending some days riding with them. Um, and we actually met some interesting people here. There was a, a Dutchman sitting at the pool here with, at this little um, hotel that we've staying at this tonight, and uh, not for the first time. The sort of the it's amazing. You meet someone there who's it's. We met him at probably two o'clock in the afternoon, sitting by the side of the pool, drinking a beer, you know, comfortably on holiday or retired. As it turns out, he's retired here. Um, and you've just finished cycling all day. You tell him about what you're doing. And, he's, and he, he says, oh, where you come from? He said, oh, the last two days you've come from Renong. He says, oh, that's 200 kilometers with like great authority. I say, oh, we've just cycled that. We should know. He says, where are you going tomorrow? I said, Phuket. Oh, he said, that should be a good day. You know, it's most, from this absolute point of like complete conviction. Um, and he says, where are you cycling to? Uh, New Zealand. And the first thing he says is, how are you going to get from Australia to New Zealand? Don't you know that you have to, like, there's, a, there's an ocean. <laughs> so it's amazing. As someone drinking beer at one o'clock in the afternoon clearly hasn't been on a bicycle for a long time as an expert. But anyway, it's all part of the fun of these journeys. And uh, we've, yeah, <laughs> I don't just, know that hurts you so much. No, <laughs> no, just, but it's, 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 if you haven't heard it once, you've heard it a million times. Yeah. So it's, uh, but it's all part of the fun. And, uh, you know, we've, as you say, we've having a magical, time on this trip and um yeah we've almost by the time we speak to you next it'll be 60 days so we've been on the road at least eight weeks and it certainly hasn't you know we obviously upbeat and we talk about all the stories and all the amazing people all the things we've been through and uh you know how we've almost you know you have like these transcendental moments of like feeling spiritual and like i mean this thing about cycling is just it's it's so meditative you just cycle and you pedal you pedal every day and you and it's so it really is a most wonderful part of the world but it's it's not easy out there, right? There's been has been a lot of challenges, and um, you know we're plugging away, and we're gonna, you know, we've we've hopefully now broken the back of those of those those COVID related things, and we can just focus now on the riding and just focus on the fundraising, um, and focus on uh, yeah, just being sharing on the good bike stories and, and sharing good stories. Uh, I get calls back home, and there's always the negative things people are telling me about, you know, happening around the world, and. I just said, well, the best I can do is give you a good story. And if you follow yeah. the social media, like, you know, we're not trying to be influencers or anything, but <laughs> at least there's a good story out there yeah. every day. You can see Ron and I just yeah. enjoying our day, whether it's Monday or Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday. It doesn't really matter. We're just sharing good stories, meeting great people, and just showing the world that there doesn't have to be doom and gloom all the time. 
oh, and we're just having the time, you know, we are having the time of lives. And it's, as I say, it's not easy all the time. And, you know, but, you know, our job here is not to paint a rosiest, you know, it's not, but it's, it's, it is like we, we, we could not be, there's nothing else we'd rather be doing. We've got this incredible purpose for which we're doing it. And on that note, please, um, we had a very generous donation from an old friend of mine who lives in the Philippines this week, which has helped boost our fundraising efforts. But every single cent and dollar that donated is hugely, hugely appreciated. Uh, I think we'd both like to reach the $10,000 mark before we reach the end of Thailand, which by the time you hear this, hopefully we, we will. You would, we would have already crossed into Malaysia and hopefully hit that target. But um, yeah, if you feel inspired and you, I mean, Child Fund is an amazing organization. Please do go to our website and, and make a donation. Every single cent and dollar makes an enormous impact and is hugely appreciated. Cool. So on that, let's uh, call it an afternoon. Yep. Go and have some lunch, a late lunch. It's Calpat Guy time. Yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>